Ever thought of being a correctional officer but not sure you'd qualify? Listen up. Be at least 19 with no age cap. Already a social worker? Social workers make great COs. No previous experience? That's okay. We'll train you. Full-time positions come with excellent health, dental, and life insurance, a pension, and other benefits of a state job. If you believe people can overcome the worst chapters in their life, then you've got the right stuff to be a correctional officer with the Hamden County Sheriff's Office. Visit hcsoma.org to join the team today. The ideas and opinions expressed in this show do not reflect the views of WHMP or Saga Community. This show may contain subject matters not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. We are not here to curse the darkness, but to light the candle that can guide us through the darkness to a safe and sane future. John F. Kennedy. Hi, I'm Lisa Riley, and each week we're here to share stories that shine a light on not only justice-involved individuals or underdogs in the game of life, but their struggles, their successes, and also the powerful resources and opportunities available for those who are hustling to carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. So unlock your future, rewrite your story. This is The Hustler Files. Welcome everyone to this week's The Hustler Files. Today's guest brings to light a conversation that is rarely spoken of, but looms large. Not only the amount of children in this country who have a parent incarcerated, but the long-term mental and emotional trauma it imparts on those children. I want to welcome today's guest, Saro Nahobari. Saro and I met about a month ago. Um, she is a student at Holyoke Community College. She's just completed her first year. And she got up to ask some questions when we were sharing the voices from the inside uh, poetry, which we had a show on a few weeks ago. And I was so taken by her And there was something about her energy and her aura that I went up to her and introduced myself and we started chatting. And um, she has had, needless to say, quite a rough lifetime in her 28 years. And she is an adult whose parents are currently incarcerated and have been for some time. So, Saro, thank you for coming to The Hustler Files today to share your story and talk about your experience because I think it's going to help so many other people. Um, Why don't you start us out by giving us a little bit of background on how you came to the United States and sort of what's happened to you over the last 20-some years? Sure. Uh, I came to the United States in 1998 with my mom and my two sisters. We were fleeing from the war in Rwanda. Uh, We came to the United States from Nairobi to Plymouth. And then from Plymouth, we went to stay with my uncle in Massachusetts. Um, And then from there, we stayed with different different friends and we settled in around New England where finally we stayed in Manchester, New Hampshire where there was a big group of Rwandans. So, uh, but my dad 
was arrested in 1997, I believe, or 1996. The ICTR, uh, International Criminal Tribune of Rwanda, they came to our door late at night asking to see my dad and asking for money, uh, which we didn't have at the time. And so my dad was also on a list of uh, genocide dares, which are which which is a person who commits genocide, and so they arrested him. So we didn't end up going to America together. And then um, I stayed in Manchester for a really long time. Um, I went to school there. I went to private schools there. Uh, my mom worked two jobs. She her, when I was in. Fourth grade, I believe, she was uh, let go from her job, and so we had to figure out where we where we were going to, how we were going to go pay the bills. Um, she was laid off. Um, it was very traumatic for her because she had worked with refugees, helping them to settle, and then she was laid off like she was not part of the system, like she was just like she was nothing. She wasn't contributing, but she was. She helped a lot of people in, in the community. Um, and then soon we got foreclosure notice and uh, we had to move. My mom was also thinking of filing for bankruptcy too at one point. So it was all very traumatic. But I still, but still I had school, which, which made me really happy because I, I love school. And then on I think it was June 10th, 2010. My mom was arrested by ICE agents. It was a summer day and they came in with guns blazing. And they came into our room and they said that they wanted us to uh, not touch anything and asked us if we had machetes um, and just ransacked our house for anything they could find. And I and my I told my my mom told me that she would see me later, but it took two years for me to see her out of jail. Her trial, her first trial, ended in mistrial. She was under house arrest, so she couldn't leave the house without telling her parole officer. And even then, she had a limited window of what she could do outside and where she could go. Me and my older sister Charlene, we worked. Um, at the food court trying to pay the bills because my mom couldn't pay the bills because she couldn't work and her accounts were still frozen. Um, so we had to, Charlene and I had to work really hard to pay for our electric bill, to pay for rent because we were renting a house. Um, basically all our, all, our, all our money went to paying the bills and providing for my twin sister Simbi who was at Brown for a summer program. So um, I wasn't able to save really any money. So you were 15 when your mom? Yeah, I was 15 when my mom was first arrested by ICE. I was living in New Hampshire at the time, Manchester, New Hampshire. But when my mom was first arrested, we had to figure out who we were gonna stay with, where we were going to live, how we how we were gonna go to school, which school we were gonna go to. At that time, my older sister Charlene was a junior in high school. 
um, and she had never stayed at a school more than one year because we moved around a lot. So my uncle took us in, but his wife, his now ex-wife didn't like us at all. And uh, she made us stay in the basement and we couldn't leave the basement unless we were going to cook. And if we cooked, it had to be for for me, for all of our sisters. For me, for me, Sumbi and Charlene, she, she refused to make meals for Sumbi, myself, and Charlene. She was a very bitter person, very angry. So it was very, it was, it was a terrible living situation. And then, uh, thankfully, um, my mom's friend Alita took us in. We were able to leave Massachusetts and go, go back to Manchester. But Alita was abusive and so so you just went from one bad challenge situation to another to another you just were in this traumatic cycle yeah traumatic cycle is exactly the way i would put it um but i was in boarding school at the time so i didn't feel the brunt of her abuse her emotional and physical abuse so where was your mother while all this was happening she was in jail in dover she was waiting trial. So she had missed, just so I can clarify the, the timeline, she had a mistrial and then she was under house arrest. Yeah. During her first trial, she stayed in the Dover uh, jail. She couldn't leave. She, she was denied bail. So Simbi, myself, and Shirley, we stayed. We went from um, my uncle's place to Alita. And we stayed in our own house when we stayed with Alita. And that was just extremely traumatizing for me. I think a year and a half later, my mom was, her first trial ended, ended in a mistrial. And so uh, she came back to live in our house. Um, but then we had, a, we, her, her benefits were still revoked. So we had to find a new place to live. We couldn't rent the house that we were living in. So were you assigned when your mom was arrested? You were all under 18, correct? Yeah, we were, my, I was 15, my twin sister was 15, and Shine was 16. So were you put under the, the umbrella of any social services organization? Um, well, DCYF had contacted us, and they wanted to know if we had a guardian to take care of us. Um, but... Other than that, we were on our own pretty much. So I have to fast forward because we're we're almost out of time in this first segment. Um, so you ended up um, getting into Howard University. Yes, I got into Howard University after my mom was convicted of lying on her visa application. Lying on her visa application to come to the U.S. Exactly, for participating in the Rwandan genocide. Um, and yeah, I went to Howard, but I was very sick. I was very depressed. I was having auditory and visual hallucinations. I thought my teacher was trying to kill me, so I wanted to go stay with, um, with Bill and Sandra, and that was, that was a, a reprieve. Um, we need to take a quick break, so Saro, please 
Thank you for hanging out with us. Um, when we come back, we're going to chat with uh, Sandra and Bill, uh, two of the most wonderful people who helped you and took you in and helped you through a lot of your traumatic psychological challenges. So listeners, don't go too far. This is The Hustler Files. We'll be right back. You became an RN, LPN, mental health clinician, counselor, or recovery professional because you believe in the value of wellness, treatment of disease, and prevention of illness. And that also means that you have the right stuff to join the medical and mental health care team at the Hamden County Sheriff's Office. Making the world a better place takes a village, and even more so with justice-involved individuals. So why not consider dedicating your next career move to changing countless lives for the better? Visit hcsoma.org. That's hcsoma.org to join the team today. Hello, this is Patrick Kaling, Sheriff of Hampshire County. If you're a college student interested in learning about the field of criminal justice, the Hampshire Sheriff's Office would like to talk to you about our summer intern program. Your internship will matter not just to the clients we serve, but also to the people of Hampshire County who rely on us to protect public health and safety. Interested in making a difference? Please visit our website, HampshireSheriffs.com, and submit an application online or call 413-584-5911 and ask for our HR department. Welcome back to this week's The Hustler Files. If you're just joining us, we're having a very heartfelt and emotional conversation with Saro Nahobari, uh, a young woman who her parents are both currently incarcerated in Rwanda. I want to get to where we are today. So your mother served 10 years in Aliceville Correctional Facility in yep. Alabama. Yeah. When was she deported back to Rwanda? She was deported a year and a half ago. Does she have any chance of parole or probation? Well, right right now her trial is ongoing. Um, so we don't know what's going to happen. I My heart just breaks for you, Sorrow. And I you sit here and you are so courageous and so brave. Very luckily for all the trauma that she went through... Um, was able to connect with uh, Sandra and Bill, who are partners, and they live and work in New Hampshire. And uh, Sandra and Bill, thank you so much for joining us here on The Hustler Files. Whichever one of you wants to jump in first, um, but how did, give us your side of the story. How did you come to know Sorrow? Well, uh, maybe I'll start with the, chronologically, I met her uncle, when he taught as a visiting professor uh, in the year after the genocide, 1994. He was at my university where I'm a professor of psychology. And I was going through divorce and he was going through a divorce, so we had that in common. And then uh, a few years later, I met his sister who arrived with three little girls. Plymouth, New Hampshire is where they were living, and then they moved to Manchester. They grew up, and then there was the ICE immigration uh, arrest of the mom. We stepped in to be surrogate parents for a little while when when she pulled out of college in her freshman year. And so, Sandra, when you first met Sorrow, what was your initial just take on her, even though you didn't know her very well? I mean, she must have been still very young at the time, correct? Right. She was in high school, and I met her when she was still living with her mother um, before uh, her mother was arrested by ICE. 
And I just saw her as being very articulate, super smart, and a really sweet person. I really enjoyed, you know, her company and didn't know what was going to happen next. (laughs) I can't even imagine the the level of extremes that Sorrow and her sisters have have gone through. Um, How did you and Bill get professionally involved in helping diagnose her, her trauma and her schizophrenia to get her the help she needed? My belief is that anybody that lives through war, that is conceived during a war, has been in utero while running from country to country, they're going to have trauma. (laughs) And so this was just my belief without maybe ever having seen her that I would have believed that to be true. And when she was living with us, I started seeing how she gradually became less and less aware of reality and seemed very troubled by things. It was very traumatic. I remember her telling us about her leaving Howard University in the middle of a semester and coming to live with us. She was so confused while she was lugging her, her suitcases around that a policeman helped her get on the bus and get here. And I, I knew that was, that was trauma-related, but then I was beginning to think, maybe this is more than trauma. Maybe this is such severe, complex trauma that it looks more like schizophrenia. And so we found her a therapist. Um, in retrospect, I don't think it was the right person. It was somebody who came highly recommended for doing good trauma work, who was young, Uh, a young practitioner, and I thought might identify more with with, uh, sorrow. Uh, And and later, she had to be hospitalized. And it was then that it was absolutely confirmed by the hospital that she had schizophrenia on top of the trauma. There's still a question in my mind whether it is just severe trauma, and maybe it's not schizophrenia, even though it responds to some of the same medications. Sorrow, did you recognize any of the signs during those teenage years that something wasn't right inside you, or did you just bury everything down because you were so traumatized by everything you and your sisters were going through? Well... I think subconsciously I recognized that there was something off with me, but the problem was I didn't want to be a burden to the people who were taking care of us or to my sisters or to my mom or to my dad. I didn't want to give them extra things to worry about, so I kind of just buried it down. Um, But... I knew there was something wrong because I was hearing, I was having auditory and visual hallucinations and I was very paranoid and it wasn't going away. Ever since I got to the U.S., 
my family and the Rondi's community have always been um, hyper aware of new people or of people who, uh, or of how unsafe Rwandan politics are. And that paranoia stayed with me for a really long time. And so I thought that with good reason, but but it compounded that I thought people were trying to kill me. or And then that led up to suicidal ideation. Um, and so I tried to hurt myself after I, le- after I left um, left Sandra and Bill's place. I went to Europe, I tried to hurt myself a few times. Um, and then when I lived by myself in Northampton after I left my uncle's place, I everything just went terribly wrong. Um, I was, I had to leave my apartment because I was sexually assaulted. Um, and that led to me sleeping on the couch, me having to keep the lights on, me reaching out to somebody to, to stay on the phone with me while I fell asleep. And then when the phone died, I could, I was, I was very scared, so I'd have to try again to call them. And it was, just, it was just, I, I just wasn't feeling safe at all. That ended up in the group home. Were you on medication at this point, or no? yeah, I was on medication, but it was uh, it was a cocktail of uh, antipsychotics, um, and with all of them, all the antipsychotics I was taking, um, it it just wasn't working. So when I was in the hospital the last time, they put me on an Invega shot, and that helped a lot until I didn't. Sandra, are you and Bill? involved on a daily basis i know that sorrow is doing so much better and and she's still working towards you know becoming more centered and 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 trying to relieve herself of all this trauma but are you both involved on a regular basis with her still as a support system we occasionally text we occasionally visit northampton it's a two and a half hour drive and um, we have Chinese takeout at her uncle's house. Her uncle is my old friend. Uh, we inquire about the social services. Um, the so-called PrEP program, maybe she could say a word about that. That was a positive thing in Northampton where she met other people who uh, had activities um, so it wasn't all bad, and she was very resilient. Going from <laughs> she had a therapist. Massachusetts has better services than New Hampshire. So overall, we were happy that she was um, getting the services in Northampton after the, uh, the home provided by her uncle was no longer suitable. Uh, Bill and Sandra, thank you for joining us. Um, Let's stay in touch. I think you offer a lot of insight um, that we weren't even really able to tap into today. Sadly, we are running out of time, but I want to bring your story full circle because you have been through so much and we like to leave our listeners with some happy endings, if that's possible, or happy new beginnings, perhaps. Where are you right now in your living situation, uh, your plans for the future, 
kind of what you want to do with the rest of your life? Um, so right now I live in a group home, but I'm planning on moving out by next year, beginning of next year, and go back to living on my own. Um, You've just finished your first year of college, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And um, what are you majoring in? Psychology. Of course. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> and I just love thinking about um, like how like how people are cognitively uh, like what they think about their cognition and thinking about um, how people why people do the things that they do. I'm very interested in behavior. So behavioral therapy is what I'm thinking of pursuing. When you finish your second year of college, you said you're going to do what? I'm going to go hopefully out of state to a new university, a four-year university. So right now I'm just working hard to maintain my grades and be able to go to a good college. Thank you, Saro, for being just so resilient, vulnerable, courageous, sharing this journey you've been on. Uh, it's very emotional, but you sit here in the studio with us, and I am in awe of you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, folks, we'll uh, take a quick break, and we'll be back to wrap up this week with The Hustler Files, so stay tuned. More to come. Do you have a background in social work or recovery coaching? Hampshire Sheriff's Department is looking to enhance our evolving correctional services. This is Patrick Kaling, Sheriff of Hampshire County. If you're looking for a career helping people, the Hampshire Sheriff's Office is hiring. Make a difference. Visit our website, HampshireSheriffs.com, and submit an application online. Or call 413-584-5911 and ask for the HR department. We are back. And to close out this week's conversation, because we always want to end The Hustler Files on an optimistic note and bring a final thought that is coordinated to the stories that we've heard during our time with you, the listener. So I'm going to share today a quote from Charlotte Freeman. This was meant to find you. I hope you know that you don't have to carry the weight of the world on your own. I hope you know that there are people out there who are happy to share the load. I hope you know that your past does not define you and that it's okay to let go of it little by little, day by day, until the weight of what you're carrying doesn't make you feel like you're stuck, unable to move in the direction you're longing to move in, unable to move at all. I hope you allow yourself to heal because you deserve to walk through this life with a purpose. I hope you know that it's okay to release your grip and begin to set yourself free. And that's a wrap for today. It is my hope that the stories and the change makers that we bring in the Hustler Files each week will release limiting beliefs and create impactful conversations along with activating change. Of course, as always, a huge weekly thank you to our producer, Leah, and of course, our guests like Sorrow and advertisers for their support. Now, if you're looking to find this show, it's on any of your local podcast networks or on the WHMP.com podcast site. 
If you'd like to reach out to me with comments or questions, you can email me at lisa at whmp.com. Please have a wonderful week ahead. And remember, don't be ashamed of your story. It will inspire others. Have a great week. (laughs) 